Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii. And good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you happen to be. My name is Michael Benner. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Our topic today is judgment and the nature of judgment. To what extent is it about control and our need to control? And to what extent is it about approval and our need for other people to approve of who we are and to accept us as people? Right? We don't really trust ourselves very much when it comes to valuing the self. We're not even sure what self-love really means. We're not sure what love means. <laughs> self-love, it gets really complicated. Some of the things we're going to talk about today, but the primary topic is judgment. And what's wrong with judgment? Uh, you know, Christians, their ears even perk up when they hear this because they know in Matthew and a couple of the other Gospels there are references where Christ is saying very clearly not to judge. Judge not lest ye be judged is sort of the colloquialism. And um, you might say, well, as I have many times in, in countless discussions on my radio talk shows over the years on this very topic, well, how can I exist in the world, especially the kind of society we've created for ourselves, without judging? Um, an example that often pops into my mind is driving a car through an intersection in a big city, or any city actually, small town, whatever, and uh, intersections are crazy places, right? Suddenly the light turns orange. You have to judge. Do I and compute very quickly? You have to analyze and judge very quickly. Uh, what is my approximate distance? How fast am I going? Uh, the orange light's about three seconds long. Does it feel like or does it think like? I think most of us do it by feeling. Does it feel like I'm going to be able to get? through the intersection, or at least into the intersection before the light turns red? Or should I speed up, or should I slam on the brakes? Or what about the guy behind me that's following a little too close? What do I do? And our heads are so filled, not just <laughs> in a situation like this, with something that surprises you and crops up suddenly, but I, I think our daily life and affairs are filled with this roof brain chatter, with the the jingle jangle of constantly judging and analyzing, uh, perceiving and processing and outputting, but we're overstimulated. That's what the great spiritual teachers have been telling us throughout time, and it's never been more true. It's especially true today, in this day and age, that we're overstimulated. We like it, you know, stimulus can be very exciting, it's very fun, and uh, we can get addict, uh, addicted, as many of us are, I believe, to the adrenaline rush of it all. But uh, a little bit of excitement being a good thing, there is a point of diminishing return where that excitement or that sense of motivation and enthusiasm 
becomes distrustful. It goes from eustress to distress. That's an interesting concept. Eustress is good stress. It's spelled E-U, stress. And that's a good kind of stress. That's the excitement, the enthusiasm, the, the old boy, the, the, the thrill of the, of, of the game and the cheering of the audience. Uh, hopefully you have a whole cheering section available to you inside your head. Uh, I'm a very auditory person, and I like to cheer myself on. I literally, yeah, <laughs> when something good happens in my life, right? And something sad happens, I can almost hear the audience in my head go, oh, <laughs> I wonder if you have an audience in your head. Um, more on that later. We've done a bit with Steve in the premium audio program and these rep systems, neurolinguistic programming, and whether you're auditory or are you primarily primarily visual, working with pictures, um, and the kinesthetic with the feelings, different ways of organizing and perceiving information. Because that's really where we program ourselves. So if we're programming the mind to manage all of the stimulus, there's got to be a trade-off. And there is a trade-off. There is a trade-out as we try harder and, you know, go past the point of diminishing return where a little bit of enthusiasm and excitement is good for us. A little bit of multitasking never really hurt. But it's just too much for most of us. And I don't mean a couple of times a day it's too much. I mean our whole lifestyle. If the sages from time out of mind have been saying, slow down, close your eyes, breathe, don't go to sleep. In fact, sharpen your attention by turning your mind away from the distractions of the physical world and all of the judgment and managing fear and anxiety, that's what stress is, that goes with that kind of a lifestyle, overstimulated. And amazing things happen when you sit quietly. Your awareness expands. You don't go to sleep. You become more awake than ever. You become more aware. There's more information, more insight, a more complete understanding available to you when you turn away from this hyper uh, overstimulated state that most of us call our day, you see. Uh, it used to be uh, a luxury to be able to create a lifestyle where you had plenty of time to meditate. It's an imperative now. You're going to burn out the cancer rates, the heart disease rates. It's not just the physical dis-ease that uh, is a problem for us. It's also the mental confusion, just the clutter and the anxiety that goes with confusion, fear, uh, worry, doubt, nervousness, things unknown. That confusion is scary. And those scary feelings confuse us even more, we've talked about this vicious cycle of fear and ignorance. 
a vicious cycle of anxiety and confusion that permeates our lives and we get stuck in that mesmerized stupefied might be a better word that's what stupid is deer in the headlights frozen as if in some kind of trance on the brink perpetually it seems of asking ourselves now what it's as if we believe that our lives would end soon after giving up judging it's it's as if we fear that we would not exist if we weren't making our lives happen with thought you hear what i'm saying it's it's a challenge to take a breath and relax and let life flow through you or flow over you <laughs> or swirl around you consume you i dare you to allow yourself to be consumed by your day oh what a beautiful concept but is it scary it's not scary if you've done it a few times if you've completely surrendered to the moment right all of your fears of existence and importance and lovability cease to exist not like they're answered it's like the question becomes irrelevant the, the kinds of questions that constitute this anxiety-based confusion this emotional insensitivity uh, the physical dis-ease and degraded performance that comes from being stressed from being overstimulated and it's not just the external stimulus that contributes to and accumulates into this ball of confusion there's internal stimulus too don't you see that's the the thought stream if you your your train of thoughts conscious deliberate logic applied thinking and reasoning but even when you put that down and sit back there's a flow there's a thought stream your, your your mind doesn't like to just sit why that is we'll just describe simply as more fear of the unknown the fear of what happens if you just sit in the now we have to face our lives that's the beauty of it when you learn to sit with yourself even if only for five or ten minutes at a time I'm a champion of three-minute meditations I think they're great and if you've been saying to yourself all your life well that meditation stuff I really like that I wish I could do that I just don't have an hour to set aside an hour <laughs> half hour those are deep profound meditations you don't need to do a half hour meditation or an hour meditation you can do a three minute meditation and it'll change you and change the world around you by the way you perceive the world 
and that's what we're all doing anyway, is assembling a perception, a projection, really, and perception of our own making in our minds that we call reality. And then we judge it. We wonder about it. We compare it. We analyze it. We wonder if it's good enough, our reality. I wonder if I'm good enough. And so all of this um, internal self-talk, whether it's auditory or visual or felt in the body, is just more stimulus adding to the ball of confusion and the vicious cycle of stress, which is anxiety promoting confusion and confusion making us more anxious. The vicious cycle of fear and uh, ignorance is really the only way to... I mean, those are the dirty words. It's insulting to say to somebody you're ignorant and to challenge them and say you're probably afraid too. There's those I understand they're strong words. But just between you and me, that's what it is. That's what stress and anxiety and being overstimulated and today's topic, too much judgment, too much thinking. Too much thinking. Right? Not enough feeling. Too much thinking in this world. And you're spinning your wheels. It's like you're driving around in first gear much of the time. And you look at the uh, tachometer over here, and it says you're running 6,000 RPM, but the speedometer says you're only going 10 miles an hour. You're in the wrong gear. There's a whole gearbox here, and you can learn through relaxation to upshift, to even go into overdrive, to cruise, to become much more efficient. to become physically stronger and healthier and live longer, to become mentally more aware, more conscious, smarter, able to realize not only the details, but the larger concepts as well and the implications and ramifications, the consequences, a kind of big picture conceptual understanding is destroyed by stress. Logic is too, but you can still be somewhat logical under a lot of stress. But the ability to think conceptually is shattered by just a little bit of anxiety. Also creativity and intuition, what a lot of people call instinct. But intuition, higher function, really, of a real sensitivity, type of self-awareness or self-realization, the the light coming on. Oh, I see. Well, that doesn't happen when we're stressed, does it? You know, when you've been really anxious and nervous and, and suddenly your forehead clears and you get this profound insight, it becomes a rare exception. It's almost bursting through when it gets so powerful it just can't be contained anymore, but has been available to us for perhaps weeks, months, or years, but we weren't sense enough, sensitive enough 
to realize it, to see it. It was just too dark inside our heads. Meditation, relaxation, contemplation, stress management, whatever you want to call it, learning to breathe and relax and let go of judgment. That's our topic today, the judgment, the mind chatter, the roof brain chatter, the ideas competing for your attention. Just three minutes, 10, 10 would be nice, 20 would be wonderful. But I gotta call your bluff here. That you don't have enough time. That's like saying you don't have enough money. Everybody has time and everybody has money. It's a matter of your priorities. And we have priorities. No matter how much time or how much money we may have, everybody has to have priorities. So let's say what we mean. It's a real negative uh, statement to say to yourself or to hear yourself say to another person, I don't have the time or I don't have the money. It's a, it's a negative. It's not affirmative. It's a negative. And um, your subconscious mind is listening to you talk to yourself that way. And he goes, oh, I didn't know that. You're what Michael said. We don't have time. We don't have money. We can't do this. And yet there's a part of you, this left brain, that says, now wait a minute. So you saw the secret. Now you're going to go off into this trippy, magical stuff that all your dreams come true. Let's get real. Let's get our feet on the ground. Let's be logical. All right. Fine. I would say let's be balanced in our thinking. Whenever we teach positive thinking, we always talk about the role of negative thinking in the life of a positive thinker. There has to be, there has to be some, right? A, a positive thinker that rejected the possibility that everything could go south on you is not a positive thinker, but just a fool. So a positive thinker has a plan B. A positive thinker has already looked at the worst case scenario, but just refuses to dwell on the negative because of the laws of mind, the basic law of attraction. The mind is magnetic because it's conscious. Consciousness is magnetic. It's love. Beyond love as an emotion is love as consciousness, and it is magnetic, and it attracts in kind the same polarities and the same frequencies, whatever frequencies we hold, whatever the, the, the nature of our thinking, whether positive or negative, whether hopeful and, and, and optimistic or sad, depressed and morose. We think of those uh, feelings, those energies as being the result of events. In fact, they tend to promote events. We think that our feelings are the result of circumstances and fail to recognize the extent to which our emotional feelings contribute to the creation of the circumstance, or certainly your perception, your subjective perception of 
that circumstance. That's your reality. That's real enough. Right? So we have to be in control. And that means we need to free the mind, at least for these short periods of meditation, introspection, or contemplation. Three to five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes would be wonderful. And then you bring a bit of that back to the waking state with you, which is called mindfulness. To maintain the mindfulness as you move into the waking state is a real challenge. Because as soon as you open your eyes and you begin to react and respond to the stimulus from the physical world, you start this upward spiral where the stimulus increases your brain waves. And um, as we approach this point of diminishing return I re referred to before, uh, this point where more stimulus is helping us to do better. We're getting excited. We're getting enthused. This is the eustress of old boy, but too much of that, and for too long a time, is the problem that we're talking about today, the problem that scatters consciousness and makes people confused. Look around you. Right? I don't really like to say people are stupid because I don't have contempt for people. I really love people. We all could be better educated. It's, it, it's not so much even the lack of, of information. Or certainly we have access to all the information on Google. <laughs> right? All of the what Google represents, the Internet and large, all, every computer in the world plugged in together and knowing we're plugged in together, sharing information as we'd never even dreamed. Science fiction writers even missed the Internet. right? So we have all this information. It's the awareness that's lacking, not the information. It's the awareness. It's what do I do with the information? What is it for? The awareness of why do I exist? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? And there it is again. Now what? What am I supposed to do? And that's the question that causes, I would argue, to often become entranced, paralyzed, hypnotized by this perpetual question, now what? <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? And I'd like to suggest maybe nothing. Maybe watch yourself judging and stop it for a while. And watch yourself watching yourself. And create some mindful detachment so that you can remember that you stand above your thoughts. You don't have to believe what you think. You don't have to do what you think. You can disagree with You do it all the time. This is no big mystical Revelation, you argue with yourself all the time, don't we? And then we decide, <laughs> you know, which side is right. 
if we're not too stressed, we might even see a third side and a fourth side, and a, and a, we can break out of the true or false, the the binary thinking that most of our neighbors are locked into. But even then, this idea of seeing the third way and the alternatives, the permutations, that's less likely to happen as we get more and more stressed. We tend to be binary thinkers. Halt who goes there, friend or foe. I, you know, we'll debate politics later. <laughs> right now, it's either or. Are you with me or against me? Too many people live there, and there are forces at work in the society that are teaching this absolutism and um, promoting the idea that we all should be living in an everything or nothing kind of a world, all right, all wrong. That's the appeal of the right wing to the low-information voter, to the undereducated Again, I, I, I don't like to say Americans are stupid. But we're not awake yet. We're not Again, the information's out there, so I'm not too worried about access to education. Schools, all of that. You know, we, we have our own accelerated learning program that, that Steve put together as a teenager, and he's taught for more than four decades. I've brought a few pieces of my own to that accelerated learning program, my business partner, Steve Snyder, and I have strong feelings about learning and uh, all that needs to be done to reform education, public education in our society. But it's more than that. It's the awareness. It's, it, it's the consciousness that needs raising just to wake people up. It's like... Imagine, consider the possibility that when you woke up this morning, you didn't come all the way awake. You're still walking around in kind of a, a trance, rather robotic, sometimes more robotic than at other times. Sometimes uh, things wake us up. Okay, we, we sort of seek out experiences that stimulate us, that are fun and exciting. Right? So, let's look for a moment at the nature of this judgment. I mentioned the uh, reference by Christ to judging not, lest ye be judged. Um, there's other references in the uh, both Hebrew and Christian Bibles and certainly other religious books around the world about being judged in time by the same standard that you judge other people. Uh, that, that's that's in the ageless wisdom and found in virtually all holy books and all religions. That often is portrayed as you'll be judged by some other entity, like perhaps by God itself. Uh, but many other philosophies and traditions say, no, it's more like you, perhaps from the point of view of your own oversoul, will in time judge you, the ego, as it was extended into the world. And uh, whoever is doing the judging, the whole idea is that the consciousness of the soul uh, benefits from the judging. And yet, we're told not to judge. So, what's the deal here? What are we talking about? 
in putting together the presentation today, I want to introduce you to the idea that you can, for even short periods of time, like a formal reflective exercise and introspection and meditation, maybe just watching your breath or a, a guided imagery exercise, if you just did that for a few minutes, a couple of minutes, like imagine two minutes an hour, to just take a breath, to push back, to feel a letting go feeling in your body, and to let go of the judgment, the figuring stuff out, the breaking it down, and the putting it together. And just experience what's happening around you. Listen to the sounds in the room around you. Smell the smells, the fragrances. Uh, feel how it feels to sit in the chair. Feel your clothes upon your body. Look at your hands. Get up and move around a little bit. Get a drink of water. Say to yourself, hello. <laughs> this is a consciousness-raising experience. You just woke yourself up from a trance. Now, which person are you? The one that's in the trance or the one that remembered to wake you up? It's like that dilemma of psychotherapy. Which person are you? The one that uh, is guilty of doing this shameful thing or the one that's ashamed and, then <laughs> and therefore uh, doesn't really deserve to be punished having realized uh, what they did was wrong and feeling contrite about it. Which person are you? Well, you're both. Now, that's the problem that we have. Um, Judging wants to break everything down and pigeonhole everything. It's, it's, it's logic in nature that is deductive by its very nature, like math itself, factoring out an algebra problem, um, balancing your, your, your checkbook, ordering off a menu, examples I've given countless times, for basic deductive logic. And most of the reasoning we do in our lives in our daily lives, it takes the form of logic. That's mostly what judging is. It's breaking stuff down from general to specific, trying to figure everything out. Well, that's a lot of work. And it distracts you from being awake and aware and just drinking everything in. And to learn to practice a cessation, a dropping, a release, a letting go of our attachment to thoughts and to stressful negative thinking. Long enough to just sit with ourselves in the quiet, in the, in the silence. You may think at first silence, for example, is a very empty place. You'll find that silence, in fact, is a very full and complete place. Silence is golden. It's a very rich and pregnant place. It's not better than a place that's full of stimulus, but it's a refreshing center that we need to return to.
right? Back to the well, back to uh, rejuvenating, refreshing. You need to do that every hour, I think, for a couple of minutes. Right? And you can get real good at it. You can do it with a simple breath or two and reorient yourself and stop judging long enough to flush the cash, so to speak, and to reboot and to refresh your mind and and remember that you're more than just this machine that judges things. Is this right or is it wrong? Is it good or is it bad? Is it true or is it false? Oh, and here's where it gets really dangerous. Is it everything or is it nothing? Get rid of the or. We're living in a you-or-me world, standing on the verge of breaking into a you-and-me world in terms of our consciousness. And while this has happened at different times in history, in different cultures, in different ways, this is a global realization that we are our ability to realize that's who we are. And if we will but train ourselves and work with our children. Now, children, it's mostly a matter of just staying awake. You know, it's it's mostly just (laughs) don't hurt them. They'll be fine. All right? Just love a kid, love a kid, love a kid, and then leave them alone. Your job's basically done by the time they're seven or eight. You've you've instilled the qualities, the worldview that they'll most likely carry for the rest of their lives. That brain development's pretty much fixed, sort of concretized. The, The highways have been laid down. The neural circuits are there by age six or seven years old. Those are the critical parenting years. That's pretty much up to the the child himself or herself as as they become teenagers and young adults, what they want to do with their lives. Yet we're not making conscious decisions. We believe we are our thoughts. We are driven by our thoughts. We believe we have to do what our judgments tell us to do which is continue judging, watch your back, be careful, all this negative, fear-based judging. Peace, love as consciousness, allows us to experience a being, the ability to experience being without having to figure anything out at all, but just to be aware. And you can do that at any time. You know, these wonderful little Buddhist exercises where you just uh, look around you right now on your desk or the table in front of you. Find some little object. Here I just picked up a a guitar pick. I'm holding in in my hand a guitar pick. First thing I saw. You do the same thing. There's a a pencil over there or a piece of paper or some little tchotchke. Pick it up 
and look at it. It's probably very familiar to you. Now, look at it as if you've never seen one of these in your whole life. I don't mean think about yourself doing that. I mean actually do that. Look at it like you've never seen this before. And notice how quickly you begin to, in fact, see in this familiar object that which you had never seen before. You became more aware when you stopped judging it and just perceived it. The judgment would say, I know this. I've used this a million times. But when you stop that judgment and instead look at it like you've never seen it before, you will in fact see all this newness in it. Funny thing is, that never ends. You could do that for the rest of your life with this one object. Now look at all the objects around you, and all, especially the living ones. And consider all the points of view that we don't consider. As Thoreau said, put your eye on the level of the insect and see the universe. Or do you remember as a kid, did, did you spend much time in trees? I, you know, I, I certainly did. We have lots of trees to climb in rural Michigan, and often we would get up in the trees, and, you know, adults never look up. So you could get up into the tree, and people would walk by underneath you and never know you were up there, because they don't look up. And... I used to trip on being able to watch the world from up in the tree. Sort of uh, like the Sufi saying, to be in the world but not of it. I was detached and mindful up in the tree. I was witnessing. I wasn't participating. I wasn't judging. I wasn't playing along. I'd given that up. Just for the few minutes that I sat up in the tree. We take our lunch up in the district. <laughs> we ended up as older kids building tree houses. It's so much fun to be way up in a tree. We had these wonderful ravines where I grew up in Michigan, where you could go like down um, where the rivers and the creek beds are, and usually they're, you know, rather uh, well several hundred feet deep. So you could drop down into these in the middle of the city and be right in the cities and the little towns in these ravines cutting through the cities. And um, adults never went in there. They never knew you were in there. So we had this whole Tom Sawyer Huck Finn world in the forests and the ravines and living in the trees. And I liked it as a kid. I felt felt safer up there somehow. Right. Well, I'm not suggesting the best reason to go there is some juvenile fear or anxiety about being in the world. I'm just talking about an expanded perspective, an enhanced level of awareness, a higher degree of consciousness that becomes available to us when we stop the roof-brain chatter, the constant judging. 
Now, what are we judging? Well, we're solving problems, we think. But, as I mentioned earlier, I'm sure you've noticed that even when you put down your applied thinking, your deliberate thinking, even when you set that aside and sit back, your mind still goes. And you really have to train yourself to um, eliminate that altogether. That's why I think lots of beginners are frustrated. They think they have to stop that mental chatter in order to arrive at a meditative place. It's the other way around. You meditate to quiet the voices. You don't need to quiet the voices to meditate. You meditate to slow everything down. And when I say the voices, it might be for you the pictures in your mind or the sensations in your body, the experience of being stimulated and for the most part overstimulated. When you let that, when when you just breathe and relax, and feel a letting go, a softening, a melting feeling in your body, and you remind yourself that you really are safe and it's okay to relax even further, to feel yourself going deeper and deeper into relaxation. That you don't fall well, you could fall asleep in an exercise like that, but. Again, with a little bit of practice, the idea is you actually become more alert because there's less stimulus, there's less input. So you free your mind. And it tends to elevate itself when it's free of judgment. It tends to get a higher perspective, an overview, uh, a bigger picture. This, This is what's missing in most people's lives anyway. Most people have the details. They're obsessed on the details. What they don't have are the grand overarching concepts that can only come from periods of contemplation, reflection. (sighs) Slowing it all down, right? Sitting back but really slowing it all down. And this letting go we call detachment, mindful detachment. And you may continue to think. It's likely you will, of course, although there will be fewer thoughts, fewer pictures, fewer voices, fewer distractions. And uh, it may all slow down a little bit. But more importantly than just slowing down the rate at which you're thinking, there is this, not dissociation, but detachment. This taking, pulling back, taking one step back to see the bigger picture. If you've ever gone to a movie theater and sat in a chair that was just too close to the screen, you know you know what I'm talking about. To get out of that chair and to walk into the back of the, not all the way back maybe, but to go back part way, you want to get more comfortable. You want to be able to see the whole screen. So I'm going to back up a bit to get the bigger picture. That's what mindful detachment is about. And it requires that we begin to familiarize ourselves with our addiction to judging everything constantly, perpetually, having to say, now what? What's next? Now what do I do? Now what? What's next? Now what do I do? 
over and over again. And it's not like the questions get answered. Usually we stumble on through our lives and often don't know what we're going to do next. We just sort of do it, just sort of go for it. But again, this idea that we've got to make our lives happen, there, there uh, is in Taoism in particular much mythology and poetry, really, about flow. Um, the dharmic lessons of life as a, uh, a course, like a river takes back to the ocean. Sufis have this too. And you follow that flow home again, back to the ocean. And gravity takes you there. I mean, you have, you go downstream, merrily, 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 gently down the stream, right? The wind is at your back. There's no work here. And that that's spiritual evolution. That's growth. Where it gets confusing for a lot of religious people is where it's framed as you're a bad person, you're a sinner, and this is redemption, not growth. We're trying to save your soul from hellfire. Well, that's a judgment. <laughs> we touched on this before. In the end, you'll be judged. Uh, that That's the myth. Believe what you want to believe. If you think God judges you, Jesus judges you, Muhammad judges you, Buddha would never judge you, I don't think. Uh, but whatever your opinion of that in the end times, or whether you think you're, as a soul, going to be judging yourself, what if you gave up the judgment of all things in this world? Not just judging other people. This is a big part of it. People think when you talk about judgment, you're talking about judging other people. That's a big part of it, no question. What's the alternative? To know yourself rather than to judge other people. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's right. I remember now. To know thyself and to thine own self be true. And then you can empathize with other people. You understand other people through your empathy, through you having been through it. Rather than judging people with your confused mental nature and deductive logic, trying to figure them out, so that you could somehow understand yourself indirectly. But you're not them, and that never works. And yet we say, well, I want to judge them and understand them to control them. I need to have some influence over the people in my lives. I won't do bad things, but I need to have a positive influence over people. Do you? Really? Well, yeah, even if only to express my love. Really? Are you sure? Or is love influential in and of itself without judgment? Can there be love with judgment? Aren't the two rather exclusive? Isn't love about not judging? Well, there's a good reason not to judge right there. You get love. And yet most of our judgment, I don't know, a lot of our judgment 
is judging others. Do I love them? Do they love me? Am I lovable? Would they love me? Why do they love me? I (laughs) I haven't got any idea. I'll judge the love. We talk about love being unconditional. That's another good reason not to judge. Tends to interfere with the whole concept of loving unconditionally without judgment. Loving your enemy. Oh my God, we have a hard time with that one, don't we? What does that mean? It means stop frightening them. It doesn't mean you have to hug them, embrace them, start trusting them if they're your enemy. Reagan always got credit for that phrase, trust but verify. It's actually an old Russian proverb long before long before Ronald Reagan. I think he got it from them. Trust but verify. It's just smart. That's a wisdom. Is that judging? No, not really. Certainly could lead to it quickly. I think people that like to go into nature, to leave the city, um, to be alone or to be with just one or two, a small group, uh, or maybe just two people going off into nature, whether it's a, you know, a city park or the hinterlands on the edge of a big city or actually going out into some roadless wilderness or national park someplace. It takes a couple of days. It really takes backpacking out there for a couple of days before all the jingle jangle of commercial media begins to fall away and you can actually hear, you can actually wake up. This is a good time to mention the Maui retreat. We've set the dates for February 13 through February 18, five days, Sunday night through Friday afternoon of 2011. The Maui Retreat, Finding Yourself in Paradise, the title is the same as our premium audio program. Now when we say finding yourself, your higher self, your true self, your spiritual self, in paradise we mean in a meditative state. Visualizing perhaps a paradise in your mind's eye to create an alpha brainwave level, an impression, an allegory, of a place of perfect peace and ideal relaxation where the mind can enjoy this expanded awareness and let go of of judgment and just experience. What we're going to do in this five-day nature intensive, we're going to be outside almost the full time. We're going to be in the very remote northeast shore of Maui, Hawaii, and uh, you can get some information from the newsletter that came out yesterday or the day before, our personal empowerment newsletter. Uh, the web page is not up yet. I don't have a web page to send you to. It'll be another week before we get that up. But we have a lot of time. It's coming up again February 13th through the 18th of, of 2011, about five months from now, I guess, next February. And and that's what we're going to do. The first couple of days, 
are going to be devoted to withdrawing ourselves from media. Now, we're not going to take your cell phone away in an emergency if you got to make a call, okay, but not throughout the day. You're not going to be using that. You won't be checking your email. Uh, we have computers and Internet access. Again, if it were important, we could. But the idea is to pull away from that, to back off, and to sit in nature in one of the most beautiful and remote tropical jungles in the world, right on the ocean, 70 privately owned acres. The whales will be there. They'll have the baby calves with them in mid-February. You'll hear them at night as you sleep either outdoors or we're going to have airbeds, individual airbeds for everybody. So you can sleep outdoors, you can sleep in the bunk yurt uh, or on a covered deck. You'll have uh, night-to-night different options where you want to go, where you want to sleep. And we'll have these workshops and seminars throughout the week. We'll have dyads and processes and all kinds of fun. But the first couple of days basically is just unwinding is getting the jingle jangle of mass media out of your head, maybe for the first time in your life, by withdrawing from media and all of the thinking and all of the judging and all of that chaos. So that by the morning of the third day, by Wednesday morning, we're thinking, You're going to know what we've been talking about. You're going to know what your teachers have been trying to explain to you about expanded awareness or higher consciousness. You're going to begin to have an experience for the next three days that you can immerse yourself in of how it feels to have access to true peace and the expanded awareness, insight, and understanding that comes with it. Then you'll take that with you back to the mainland and be able to draw upon it on demand anytime you wish. Maybe for just a couple of minutes, several times a day. I try to go away in my mind. Um, Actually, this is the going away. I like to come home in my mind (laughs) a couple of times an hour to focus in alpha. And that narrow awake, between awake, wide awake and asleep, a laser-beamed focus where I'm much likely to see the bigger picture and have a more comprehensive understanding where I can give up judgment. A lot of judgment is problem-solving. A lot of judgment is this fear that we need to control and at least influence other people. And a lot of our judgment is a need for approval and acceptance. And if you can give that up by putting yourself in charge of knowing yourself, uh, it becomes irrelevant largely what other people think of you. This is not a, a place of inflated ego. Quite the contrary. The more you understand that part of you that is not the ego <laughs> the true eternal spiritual essence, the kindness, the the gentleness, the wisdom in you, your better nature, the the parts of you that want to do good and want to grow. The more you understand that better polarity, uh, the less it matters 
what other people think of you. That's the power of self-esteem. But a person with a big ego is developing the wrong polarity. They're developing the separative nature, which needs to be better than others. And if the ego is not better, it fears it must then be worse. What the ego doesn't understand is that everyone is different. There is no better or worse. We're just all different. Ego doesn't really get that. Higher self gets it, loves it. <laughs> okay, but ego, ego has a problem with that. Say to yourself, I'm not better than, I'm not inferior to, but I am unique. I am different from. So what's the point of judging? Best just to know myself, to accept myself, not to judge others, but not to judge myself either. But just to accept that I, this is who I am, and I have these talents, and I have these weaknesses over here. And I have these gifts and these abilities and these passions, and I have these other areas where I'm not so sure at all. And I'm going to explore that. And understand that, not judging myself, but understanding the truth, realizing it, seeing it, like that object you picked up off the table and looked at like you'd never seen it before. You could do it again, do it now, pick it up, <laughs> pick it up again. Gosh, it looks a little new even now. Something there you haven't looked now you're going to want to get a magnifying glass, right? Look even closer. Might want to go the other way. Put the object down and take a step back. Why is this object in your life? I don't know. I know why the guitar pick is in my life. <laughs> Let's go to some questions and comments in our class today on judgment. How to quiet all of that roof brain chatter if you'd like to post a comment or a question on the web you got a little text box in front of you if you don't see it press ask a question fill out the form with your comment or question put your name and city in there hit submit be sure to hit submit and if you're on the phone star two will raise your hand and indicate that uh that uh you want to talk? I'm checking the telephones now. A lot of callers. I don't see any hands just yet. So let's go to um, the Q&A and see what the folks on the web have to say to us. Then we'll go back and check the telephones in a minute. Then we'll do a guided imagery exercise. Okay, do a little meditation here for you today. By the way, I never really finished telling you what to do to find out more information about the uh, Maui retreat that Steve and I are doing. Again, this five-day intensive outdoors. All the expenses are provided, catered meals. We're talking hot showers and indoor toilets. You're not going to be rough in it. But uh, it's going to be an intensive, immersed in nature for the experience of a Walden-like experience of encountering yourself through deep peace and intense beauty. I think that's part of it, too. The uh, best thing to do is um, call our service, which is 818, 
It's an L.A. number, 818-973-3154. You can call anytime, 24-7. It's a service. And just say you're interested and um, you want some questions. Uh, you have a few questions. Maybe I can answer for you. And then within a week or 10 days, I'm sure we'll have the web page posted and we'll be able to take deposits, and you can reserve spots. Because we're not going to do more than 25, 20, 25. Um, when we keep it really intimate and really powerful. So 818-973-3154. 973-3154 in the 818 area code. And uh, just include your name and telephone number. Be sure to leave your area code, too. And uh, we'll get back to you. Phil Jaffe in Canoga Park is posted, and he says, uh, sorry I missed the video conference last Thursday, but I forgot to send him a reminder. We've been debating whether to send reminders for the video conference and who to send them to. Because I have uh, several thousand people on my mailing list, most of whom are not obviously interested in the Thursday night conference, but how would I know who is who? So we 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 mention it every week in the newsletter, and then Phil's right. I have been sending out these other reminders to smaller groups of people. But then I'm always worried that people, um, they, they get too much email as it is, and they don't want to be spammed, so it's a double-edged sword. Not sure what to do about it. Actually, I will miss this Thursday's video conference. We're going to have it. I know several people who said they're going to be there anyway, and hopefully you will. I plan to do 90% of these things, but occasionally I'll have to miss one, and this coming Thursday is one I'll, I'll have to miss. But I'm going to be out of town for a little while. Carol Postel in La Habra says, uh, hello, Michael. Hello, Doreen. Hello, Carol. Aloha. Bernie by the Sea in Los Angeles says, aloha, Michael. It's Yvonne from Thursday night. Hello, Yvonne. Um, yeah, Phil's uh, jumping back in here and uh, thanking me for talking about the story of stuff uh, project said that uh, he's seen all of their videos now and and friended them on Facebook and uh, story of stuff is a pretty cool video it uh, is about our conspicuous consumption and just the problems we're creating for ourselves as a throwaway society and it's also a clever little, cleverly little animated uh, short. So I think it's at storyofstuff.com or storyofstuff.org. Just Google it. You can find it. It's a very popular website at this point. Rob Fiegel is with us again. Hello, Robert in Irvine. He says, aloha, Michael. Great topic. We block out so many opportunities and experiences through prejudices we have uh, to open up, or we have to open up and um, let the world in and risk really embracing life, have a magical week of peace. And let's see. Well, Phil's got a running dialogue. 
I'll come back and check this for you, Phil. John Bowles in Pittsburgh. Hello, John. Nice to see you. He says, aloha. Awesome topic. Aren't we taught to constantly judge in Western culture? It's like a sickness, but everybody's doing it. And so it seems normal. Yeah, I think it's true. I don't know that much about other cultures. Uh, I suppose the closer to nature a culture is, the more important nature, uh, more important role that nature plays, the more likely people are to not judge, uh, but rather to be mindful and, and aware of the world around them. Patricia Vega in L.A. Hi, Patricia. She says, hello, aloha, Michael and Doreen. Good subject. Everybody needs to know this, especially in these times, these stressful times. She says, I see an enemy as a troubled brother. Lorelei in Tucson. Aloha, Michael. What a wonderful world it would be if we would experience each other without judgment. Peace and love to you and Doreen. Oh, John in Pittsburgh says also funny comment. Um, when you said to pick up something close to you, I picked up a business card and I turned it over and back again. And it's from a local magistrate, a judge. <laughs> that is funny. It was from a judge. Judge not. Don't judge this card. It's a judge's card. That is funny. All right, let's check the uh, telephone, see if anybody has a question for us online. No, but thanks for using the phones, guys. I appreciate it. And again, if uh, you ever miss one of these classes or you have to leave in the middle of a class, remember the podcast is available at theagelesswisdom.com. And our premium audio program is at focusedpassion.com. Failed to mention that till now. Remember the ED in that. It's the w's.focusedpassion.com. We put 10 sample premium audio programs. That's um, uh, like a, what, two and a half month subscription. Uh, normally at 99 cents a week, we took 10 of our favorites and put them into a free podcast. You can pick that up at iTunes now or any of the podcast directories the Focus Passion Podcast. We call it Empower Yourself. The premium audio program is Find Yourself in Paradise, Finding Yourself in Paradise. Our little 10-sample program podcast is called Empower Yourself in Paradise. And uh, you can pick it up at the iTunes store and listen to 10 of our favorite programs, get a taste, and see if you'd like to be a subscriber for just $4 a month, three ninety-six. in fact. Less than $4, like a cup of coffee at Starbucks for uh, four to five programs, four or five programs every month, 52 programs a year. Steve and I together, a lot like this, but Steve and I together uh, in conversation that we think is often compelling. And, of course, we do the guided meditation also. And those who are contributors and, and sponsors that, 396 a month or more, some donate significant amounts. Uh, all of you make this program, this class possible for free. So join up if you can, right? Don't have to take a blood oath. There's no decoder ring and no membership charge. Just uh, 
use your debit card, your ATM card, whatever you got there, and 99 cents a week, pretty painless. And you can unsubscribe at any time. Very cool. I'll tell you this. The price of the individual programs is not going to be $0.99 cents for much longer, sort of our introductory price. The subscription, I think, will continue at three ninety-six a month. So basically $0.99 cents a program at the subscription rate. But right now, you can buy individual programs from the archives for $0.99. Cents. And... Um, that won't be much longer. We're going to overhaul the site, go into phase two very soon. Okay, uh, get comfortable. Let's do a little visualization exercise, a guided meditation, and see, see if we can't experience a little judgment-free reflection here. As you get comfortable, I want you to do a couple of shoulder shrugs and some head rolls and sit back and think of yourself as balanced and centered. Feeling whole and complete. Whatever that means to you. What does it mean? And if you're not sure, pretend. How, how would it feel? to feel whole and complete. And take a few nice, slow, deep breaths if you haven't already begun to, to do that. Really slow, deep breath. Do... Two, three, four slow, deep breaths, each one a little slower than one before it. If you're counting, add a number each time, a little longer, a little slower. As you become more and more relaxed, feel the letting go in your body. And then turn that breathing over to autopilot and allow your body to breathe itself. And begin to relax your body, first at your feet, and then in your ankles and your calves. Feel a letting go feeling. If you'd like, you could tighten those muscles a little and then release them and remind yourself, do that a couple of times, remind yourself how it feels to let go in the feet and the calves and the knees. And then come up into the upper legs and relax the upper legs, the back too, the muscles in the back of the upper leg, and into your hips and just imagine moving up the spine or through the center of your, your torso, your so-called core, gently moving through the core of your being, creating a sense of relaxation the feeling of well-being. As if you're being filled and fulfilled, recharged and rejuvenated. Across the shoulders, allow this feeling to flow like a gentle warmth down into your arms, through your elbows, all the way down to the very tips of your fingers. 
wonderful feeling of relaxation and letting go. Imagine throughout your body, tiny thread-like capillaries are dilating just a little bit as you relax, you see. And so your resistance, your blood pressure goes down a little bit. It becomes more normal. As you become more relaxed and feel safer, releasing muscular tension, Imagining yourself softening like butter on a warm day, slowly from the outer layers of your body to the very core of your being. Softening. Yielding. Feel the letting go. I'd like you to imagine yourself in a beautiful place, a paradise of some sort. You can imagine yourself here in Maui. Have you ever been to Hawaii? Probably seen pictures and books. Imagine being here. And sitting in nature. Feel yourself sitting upon the earth connected to the earth, as if rooted like a tree or a bush. Imagine that you have magnetic lines of force that reach into the earth, that ground you like roots in a tree. Feel that connection. Allow yourself to feel grounded by and supported by the earth, letting go and allowing the earth to support you. You can even with no effort at all, just a little imagination, recall the feeling, experience the feeling of being gently pulled toward the earth by gravity itself and once resting upon the earth, pulled toward the core of the planet, toward the very center of the planet. By gravity itself. So that you're connected to the earth. And at the same time, I'd like you to imagine a point on the crown, the very top of your head, that is open and receptive to a downward impress of spiritual energy that precipitates like a gentle rain. So that you are the rain barrel, open and receptive to this gentle downward flow of life itself, of love and light, of spirit, chi, ki, kundalini, prana, odic force, ilan vital. And so you're like a battery with polarities that are hooked to the sky and to the earth, to the source and to the ground, to the father and the matter, the mater, the mother, 
to the spiritual and material worlds. And you are the medium. You are the means of transmission. The conduit through which spirit comes into form. That happens through you. And so, I'd like you just to spend a few moments experiencing yourself being recharged like a battery, hooked up to spirit and matter. And as that center element, the battery itself, just imagine being filled with love and light. A wonderful warmth, a vibration, an energy that begins to fill you. Every little nook and cranny and even those places near your heart that sometimes feel empty. Allow yourself to feel filled and full and fulfilled. Let that love, let that light come in. And as you become filled, imagine spilling over, emanating, offering or giving up this energy in all directions. And still you receive more, and the more you offer up or give away or release your love and light, your consciousness, without judgment, without reason, for no reason, but just emanate truth and beauty and wisdom, goodness, on the highest order that you can imagine. Feel yourself emanating it, radiating it effortlessly, doing nothing to cause it, just letting go of your resistance to it. And the more you radiate, the more you receive, and thus you enhance the flow through you. And you become an even more effective agent of love for change and growth, enfold, unfoldment and enrichment in the world. Release it. Not from you so much as through you, you see, so that you are not a vessel that ever runs dry. You are a conduit or a medium through which life flows out into the world. Hold the frequency of love and everything else will be added unto it. Hold the frequency of all of those qualities of love that you know. Compassion and forgiveness, kindness and tolerance and patience and generosity. Hold those frequencies. Be mindful of 
the qualities of love and how you may express love and light in your life. And the rest is just details. They take care of themselves. Don't worry about it. Don't even need to think about it. Don't even need to judge it. It's all handled for you when you aspire to goodness and truth and beauty. With kindness and gentleness and compassion. Buddha said, intention is karma. It matters what we do. It matters how we think and feel. But above it and behind it all is the intention, the purpose, the power, the will. The first and primary ray in the seven spirits before the throne. Intention is karma. You don't have to even judge yourself. Nor worry about how you did. If your intention was good. And you can't fool yourself. No point in lying to yourself because your higher self is there watching you do it. Knowing better all the time. Too late for that. Form the intention. Focus on goodness and truth and beauty. All the qualities of love that you know. Some of which we've mentioned is compassion and kindness and generosity, tolerance and patience. Harmony and wisdom. Focus for a moment on the letting go. Tell yourself it'll easy it'll be easy to remember this letting go feeling. That the challenge in your life is not to learn to work harder, but to let go. It doesn't mean that we never intercede. It doesn't mean that we don't take deliberate action. It doesn't mean that we don't set goals, make decisions, and solve problems. But we also leave room for witnessing where we are right now, what's right in front of us, and experiencing it more fully as we free ourselves from the torment of perpetual judgment, control, 
in a search for acceptance. Let all of that go. Bringing with you the feeling of letting go. As you reorient yourself to the sound of my voice, Remember the room around you and feel the cushion supporting you, the floor beneath your feet, for example. And inhale now, breathe in. Hold for a moment. Exhale and open your eyes now, wide awake, alert. Eyes open, wide awake, back in the room, feeling fine. Take another breath if you'd like. Ah, all refreshed and rested and re rejuvenized rejuvenated <laughs> hey thanks very much for being with us thanks for telling your friends about the ageless wisdom mystery school save the date february 13 through 18 while you think about whether that's something you want to do something you want to invest in and whether you want to join us for the maui retreat in february of 2011 in beautiful Nahiku. Google it. Take a look. Look at Hana, Maui. Look at Nahiku, Maui. Look at the road to Hana in Maui. You'll get a feeling for the waterfalls and the rainbows. Again, whales will be here and we'll be calving at that time. You'll hear them at night. Uh, my partner Steve was talking to, on a couple of occasions, the people that run the whale boats out of uh, the west end of the island where most of the tourists are. And he was talking about the behavior that they hear uh, out in the uh, the east end at night. Because you can acoustically, because they're right on the bluff, this, this, this 70 acres is right on the bluff. So the whales are right there. You can hear them at night. And the whale watch people who only go out in the daytime said they, for the most part, never heard those sounds. And uh, nor that behavior. So even if you've been on whale watches and seen whales and heard them in the daytime, it's a whole different experience to hear the whales at night. Uh, or, again, the rainbows, uh, the delicious, exotic, fresh fruit, and the, the wildflowers falling out of the trees, and the instruction that we're going to give you in how to immerse yourself. Well, first, how to let go of the jingle jangle from the mainland and then how to immerse yourself in a quality of peace that you can use as a trigger and come back for the rest of your life on demand with one slow deep breath you'll be able to come back to this experience it'll be that intense so give us a call for more info that's the best way to do it at this early stage 818 just leave a message at 818-973-3154 973-3154 and 818. Call any time, day or night. Leave a message, I'll call you back. Thanks for joining us today, and as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.